Jackson, you got that. Dulac. Golden medal. <laughs> well, <laughs> good day, Shaq. <laughs> Let's put another tomato in the gumbo. Tomato in the gumbo. <laughs> and good evening. We are live here in the One More Round studios. Casey just cleared. We've got a, uh, a full studio tonight. we got Damian St. Pierre and Nick Aber both to my right. Mellow at the computer working the controls. Fellas, there was some interesting news released today. I don't know if it's uh, fact or fiction. We'll talk about it uh, in this first segment. Uh, but we got a big show. More on that in a minute. We got a big show tonight on the phone line. In a couple of minutes, we are going to have Orion James, the Class 4A Most Outstanding Player from the last state tournament. She's going to talk about some things that she's working on. She's got another year left in her career uh, at the high school level. She's going to be going on and playing some college ball. As well, uh, after that, we're going to have uh, UNO graduated guard Nate Fry on the line. Nate's been competing at some showcase tournaments and everything before his professional debut. Uh, Nate's a good interview. He's going to give us some good information about what it was like being a UNO privateer this past season. And then in our last segment, we're going to talk about some wrestling. Uh, we all attended a big wrestling show out in Morgan City this past weekend, and we're going to break that down for you. We've got uh, a lot to talk about because we really had a really good time on Saturday, but we'll lead off in the world of boxing and um fellas a lot of the folks that are on facebook talking about how floyd mayweather's doom and gloom is coming here in a couple of weeks may be silenced a little bit as there was a report on the dirt sheets that brandon rios was a uh sparring partner with um with conor mcgregor and he knocked him out and uh knocked him out cold is the report that i saw now rios has since backed that up a little bit he said I never met him. I don't know who he is kind of thing. I don't necessarily believe that for a second. Um, I could be convinced to say that I never met someone for the right amount of cash as well. Um, but I guess what are your first thoughts as you see, you know, Rios is a guy. He's a pretty good boxer, but, you know, he's, he has losses to Manny Pacquiao. was knocked out by Timothy Bradley. He certainly would be favored to lose to, uh, to Floyd Mayweather should the two fight. What are your thoughts as you were reading the report that Rios allegedly knocked Conor McGregor out in a sparring session. A couple of things, and the first thing that really pops off the page while you're reading that is the fact that Brandon Rios is in your camp as a sparring partner for a fight with Floyd Mayweather. Brandon Rios has never avoided a punch in his career, which is why he has the couple of losses that he does. Now, look, he's a warrior. He is a tremendous fighter. But to have him sparring your guy getting ready for a skilled boxer, that, that's asinine. Uh, the news came, the quote came from Jesse Vargas, who was a former WBO welterweight champion, and he did some, uh, He was on the United States team in, in his his time. The quote was, he got knocked out cold. He said, we're hearing stories. The boxing world is small, and you hear these things. I heard they had, I heard they tried Brandon Rios, but he, got, but he knocked Conor out, so they pushed him away. So that tells me what you just said a second ago about some, maybe some hush-hush money. I wouldn't doubt that that's being, that's being paid. Brandon because I know Brandon's probably searching for a nice little payday at this point look the the boxing world is small and everybody inside of the circles kind of talk Nick are you sort of along the same lines do you sort of believe that this actually was the case and that this did happen Uh, I I do believe it happened I mean people talk and people may stretch the truth a little bit but uh, it sounds like it it, I wouldn't doubt that it happened actually but uh, I've seen him spar I've seen him fight MMA this guy's hands are at his waist if you're fighting a guy who knows what he's doing in a boxing ring 
who's not working on taking people down and trying to choke them out and he's spending all his time trying to punch somebody in the face, that stuff's going to happen. If your hands are at your waist, you're going down. That, that's the thing. Uh, I hear all this talk about, oh, man, there's this golden punch that might land and he might, you know, he has a puncher's chance. Well, I've watched a lot of McGregor MMA fights, and here's what happens. He hits you, he stuns you, then he tackles you, and he beats the hell out of you on the ground. You know what he, you can't do in this? You cannot tackle Floyd and take him to the ground. So even if he lands a good shot, which I don't know that he's going to be able to do, I don't know if he's going to be able to finish him, in, you know, standing up man-to-man, you know, in a boxing ring. And, Damien, you touched on something that, that I thought was really interesting was, you know, this is this this whole sparring thing. This is like, you know, your scout team for your fight. You're, you're trying to get ready. You're trying to replicate what you're going to see. Rios is, like you said, he's kind of a brawler a little bit. You've done some, some you know, some of this training work and trying to get sparring partners in for guys that, that you've promoted and things of, of that sort. Why would they go to Rios? I mean, it, it just sounds like, as you said, it's a terrible idea. I, I can't understand that. And that's the only thing that's throwing me off about this story that, I can't see top-level boxing guys bringing in a guy that really has no business of any trying to mimic Mayweather's style because that's not what he's going to do. He's a bigger fighter, and he's not a slick. Uh, you talked about percentages. Uh, Jesse Vargas also wanted to say that McGregor has a 1% chance of winning and that he'd like to put some money down. Now, you talk about putting money down. A lot of the McGregor fans are starting to come out of the woodwork and getting a little confidence after hearing the press conferences. I I agree with uh, a lot of the chatter about McGregor getting the best of Mayweather in the press conference. Mm -hmm. I think he's a lot better at talking trash than Mayweather is. Mayweather seems a little bit timid. But once those bright lights get on and McGregor has to actually step through the ropes to get in there, uh, it's going to be a different tune. And something Mayweather gave... McGregor, a lot of hell about was him tapping out. And he said, man, you can't tap here. You can't tap here. You can't just give up. You're going to get knocked out. And I think that we're all in consensus. And it was just a good, um, it was too low hanging of a fruit for us not to talk about it, considering our, our sort of our viewpoints here in the studio. So we'll keep an eye on that. And look, Casey, before we move on, which rightfully so we should move on from this topic, but I want to invite anybody with an actual opinion of Conor McGregor winning this fight. I want to invite you to come on, whether come in the studio sure. for our next podcast or call in, whatever you want to do. I just want to get – we've all – everybody that's been on this show and everybody we interviewed that we talked about it is all pro Mayweather. I want to hear from somebody that really thinks that McGregor has a shot and somebody that actually has a valid opinion on why. I would love to hear that. And I want to bet with that person. <laughs> you know, the, the curious thing is – is okay we've had justin verdon justin verdon's not a mayweather guy but he said you know floyd's gonna whoop up on him you know that's just not something that you know the boxing the mma thing's not gonna work we had Rance ward said that's an easy half a billion for floyd so we've had people that know how this works Rance did boxing and mma still does justin did both and the math just doesn't add up and i think that everybody sort of agrees even the mcgregor people agree that if it's going to be a decision floyd's going to win Connor's only chance is that one big blow. I just don't see him landing that one big blow because look, Canelo, Al- Canelo Alvarez is a big puncher. You couldn't hit Floyd. Manny Pacquiao is a big puncher. He couldn't hit Floyd. Oh, oh, bro, his shoulder was hurt. He hurt, you know, whatever it may be. That's all excuses. No one has been able to hit this guy consistently in a boxing ring. I don't know that someone with zero professional fights in the boxing ring 
is going to be able to land that golden goose that everybody's looking for. Listen, do yourself a favor and go check out Netflix or however you get your little your little movies and go watch Great White Hype. That is exactly how this whole situation plays out. They go find the Great White Hype, the Great White Hope, the one guy that's beat the world champion. The world champion takes the fight as a joke. Uh, ends up getting beat up in the press conference, and I'm not I'm I'm not gonna in uh, ruin the movie for Spoiler you. Spoiler alert! Just know that the right man wins the bout. Sounds like a winner, and we'll we'll be keeping an eye on it. We've still got plenty of time. It feels like the fight is this weekend with the way that it's been built up, but we have still got plenty of time, several weeks to go, and we'll be trash talking some more about that, no doubt. But shift gears now, uh, talk some Saints and some Pelicans. Is Mickey Loomis did a an interview, which is sort of rare for him. He's kind of been quiet lately he was on Duncan Holder on uh, 1280 AM pretty good show I, I uh, from what I heard I, it was a pretty good debut for those guys Loomis had a couple of things to say most notably with the New Orleans Saints he said the Saints are not happy with seven and nine and here's exactly what he said about what he expects from the team next season um I mean I don't look at it like that I look at it, you know I think each one of these seasons you look at and you go into the season thinking hey we can be really good and and uh, obviously the results speak for themselves we're not happy with seven and nine um I, you know i think when i look back at each of those seasons i see opportunities where we could have done much better um and so i i kind of feel like hey that's where we're at this year fellas that was uh it was pretty interesting it's a lot of confidence for a guy who coming off of three straight seven and nines and a guy who's Already without his center who's injured, his left tackle's injured, uh, his defensive tackle has, has some kind of heart problem, his prize free agent signing is a senior citizen. A lot of optimism from uh, Mickey Loomis, though. I don't know I don't know if anybody picked up on the tone that I'm not overly optimistic about the Saints this coming year. Okay, so we started doing radio together probably three years ago. We've sat there and got on top of the mountaintop and shouted, Saints aren't that good when everybody else is telling us different. And every year we've been right. We're undefeated. So what he's saying is that he's happy with where things are now. But he also said that he thought things were good the previous three seasons. So one word comes to mind when I hear this interview and I hear Mickey Loomis speak, and that's clueless. I don't think he has a grasp on on what's going on. I think the game has passed him by, just like the owner of – the Saints franchise. Nick, your thoughts as you heard Loomis say, man, oh, we're going to be really good. We, we expect to be good every year. What were your thoughts as you hear that? I think that he's holding on to something that if um, I'm just going to come out and say it. If Drew Brees doesn't win that Super Bowl, is he still on this team today? Uh, I think he's holding on to something because he feels like he owes it to Drew to retire a Saint. But um, the, the, all their money that they have tied up is in Drew Brees and injured guys. So like how do you how do you expect to win if you don't have all your money on the field? Yeah, and that's a big problem that they've had is dead money, old money, unproductive money. That's been a big thing that this team has battled. And look, in the middle of the off season, I was kind of coming around a little bit. You know, hey, they're they they're getting some running backs together. They drafted the offensive lineman. Maybe Sean Payton's going to run the ball a little more. That'll protect the defense. Now your center's out, Unger. We, you know, they they say he'll be back before the season starts. You never know. Your left tackle, you know, he's going to be out for about half of the season. That's your most prized offensive lineman. So that means the rookies now has to play well. He's not going to have any kind of learning curve. He has to play well. And then on the defensive side, the interior, the middleman, Nick Fairley, the guy who was causing all this disruption, he's out for the season already. D 
this is before you even put the pads on. You got half of your offense, half of your defense already out. I, I just don't see the path right now for this team. You already lost Brandon Cooks, your best receiver. I think that they're missing a lot, and I don't know they added enough to replace what they're missing. I think you missed one of the biggest problems that the Saints have right now, and that is the head coach. I think uh, he's got a little bit too much going on uh, outside the game. I don't think he's adapted to his team, uh, his players. I don't think he's adapted to the fact that Drew Brees is getting a little older, not as nimble, not as uh, strong. Which he, I, he never had a strong arm, but sure. it's getting a little worse. Uh, you got all you got this stable of running backs, and you pretty much have try to do that every season. And then when it gets the going gets tough, you just throw the ball fifty times a game, and you don't run the ball. You can't rely on that going three and out and then expect your defense to have any success at all. That's just not the way football, NFL football is won. We talked in the last show or maybe two shows ago about Rich Rodriguez and how he only has one way of doing something. He turned down Ryan Mallett because Ryan Mallett wasn't fast enough to run his offense, which was insane because Ryan Mallett went to Arkansas and did great things. Is Sean Payton that one-trick guy of, if he's not able to throw the ball 50, 55 times a game, he's not capable of having success offensively? I, I'm going to say at this point in his career, yes. Previous in his career, especially the Super Bowl run and the years around that, they ran the ball just enough to keep the defense honest. Yeah. Now they're not doing that, and he has, it seems like he has no interest in doing that. Do you think that that's maybe because he doesn't trust his defense and he feels like he has to score 50 in order to win? I, what have they done? What has that defense done the past few seasons to have any trust in him at all? Yeah, well, it's a fair point. Speaking of a lack of trust, we'll talk about the New Orleans Pelicans now. As Mickey Loomis, uh, also in the same interview on Duncan Holder, said he's pretty confident where, with where the Pels are as well. He said that they've actually had a winning off season. Listen to the comments right here. Likes his teammates, likes his staff, likes the organization, and and wants to do well right here. So I, I think that in terms of um, that kind of attitude is, is what we need to have for this team. And, and look, we've got that from Anthony, and, and, and we've got that from some of the other players that are on a roster. That, that's, a, that's a good baseline for us. And, you know, Dell and his staff, they're hard at work at, you know, adding elements, um, adding players that give us a chance to compete in, in what's really a really tough division, uh, obviously, a really tough conference. Yeah, um... I don't know if he's, you know, maybe he's confusing this with an off season that, you know, maybe like a, a child of his is playing on 2K or something. What are these big moves that he's talking about? He's talking about how they've reshaped the roster. Only thing I've seen them do is they re-signed Drew Holiday and they added Rajon Rondo. I don't know that they've drastically changed things like he let us on the belief. Again, I don't know if he, if he knows exactly what's going <laughs> on. Uh, you heard him say, talking about AD and Drew Holiday having the right mindset, and then he also went on to have a brief pause and say, and the other players. Do you think he knows the other players at the end of the bench? Do you think he's – That was troubling. Yeah, you think he's watched a a Pelican Summer League game? Do you think he knows that Czech Diallo is the next coming? Nick, your your thoughts as as you're hearing uh, these comments from Holmes about the Pels. First of all, that's a red flag that he doesn't know the roster that he has somewhat (laughs) control of. And the second red flag is that this guy is actually in charge of a basketball franchise. This somewhere. guy? Hey, Quadra. <laughs> but uh, having this guy in charge of this he <laughs> of does the, it of again. The franchise and not really knowing the players and knowing what he's doing is, is, 
that's got to be a red flag. I can't be the only one who notices this. Who messes up all the franchises? That guy. <laughs> that guy. Um, I, I we were talking about this before the show. The Saints were were rolling whenever Loomis was doing only this. Like a lot of people think that they're a one trick pony and they only won the Super Bowl. They had a couple of playoff seasons outside of that. I remember the one heartbreaking loss at San Francisco in the playoffs where that was a really good Saints team as well. That was after the Super Bowl. They had eleven and five season loss to the seven and nine Seahawks in the playoffs. But whenever he took on this dual responsibility with the Pelicans, and look, before Loomis took over the, the stuff with the Pelicans, the Pelicans were even kind of playing fairly well. Um, since that time, though, it feels like both things sort of came to a head, and now they're both trending downward. And I don't know that it's necessarily a Loomis thing, per se, more so that I mean, there's only a certain amount of hours in a week. I don't know how much he could get done. I think they're just sort of begging for you know him to do both jobs sort of at a C minus level because there's just not enough hours for them to do both at an A plus. I just don't understand why they they are, they're money. There's money for every other team in the NBA to have. Uh, or what, what is what is, it, what is his exact title? Is it president? He's like the president. Of, yeah, yeah. Every other NBA team has that guy, and every other NFL team has that that guy. Just because the same owner has both teams, that doesn't mean well. Look. I got my one guy here. We're going to go ahead and let him run everything. You could only, listen, and I'm one to talk, but you could only have so much on your plate before it gets unbearable and both sides start suffering. I mean, I would expect such things from a team owned by a guy who made his money selling used cars. So <laughs> is that really that much of a surprise that he's going to be trying to penny pinch? This is the same guy, had a great thing going in the early 90s, busted it all up, half of the team went to the Falcons. Same guy during Katrina was trying to move the team to San Antonio. The league forced him to stay in New Orleans. I think that if you Nick talked about what would happen if the Super Bowl would have never happened, we would view Tom Benson way differently if he not had not gotten the Saints to that pinnacle. Outside of those two or three years, he's been pretty terrible at his, at his position as team owner. Oh, let me let me stop the bleeding of negativity here and go with a little something a little more positive. <laughs> uh, after doing a little research on that Rajon Rondo signing. I'm not as opposed to it as I was in the last podcast. I think doing a little doing a little bit more insight, I think him and Boogie Cousins have a good chemistry. We talked about the lack of chemistry, but that's kind of brought in chemistry. Now, will those two go as kind of the, all right, so those are my two guys, and then the rest of the team, because they're both head cases, just like we talked about in the last episode. But give them a chance. I think Rondo Rondo's an NBA caliber starter. Oh, sure he is, yeah. Um you know, it's a lot better than everything else we did this offseason. 11 and 11 in that one year in Sacramento. We had 11 points, 11 assists. I mean, that was really good. I think the Pels would, would be very pleased to have that. Nick, my only concern with Rondo is, I mean, there's got to be something about this guy that now this is going to be like his fourth or fifth team in four or five years. There's got to be a reason why someone's not keeping him long term. Oh, of course, he's a jerk. He, he's just a flat out jerk. I like the guy. I like the signing for two reasons. One, he he can play. We don't have too many guys on the team that can play. He can play at an all-star level or somewhat below the all-star level now. Maybe he can be an all-star again. Who knows? And two, he's going to drive Alvin Gentry crazy. He's going to drive Alvin Gentry out of town. He, absolutely. And I <laughs> love that. Alvin, um, Rajon Rondo and Boogie Cousins together will drive Alvin Gentry crazy. 
if he's not already crazy. I've seen him on the sideline. He's crazy. <laughs> this will drive him out of town. I am all for this signing. Sure. So, okay. So I guess here's the, the, the gripe that I have with it is you gave Drew Holiday $100 plus million because you know that he's a NBA caliber, very productive point guard. We don't know much about Drew Holiday, the shooting guard that they're trying to evolve him into. Um, I guess is that sort of a concern? I mean, you're asking now one of your highest paid players to shift to a position that he really hasn't played very much. Yeah, I'm not sure when Drew Holiday became the shooter that Larry Bird was, that all of a sudden he needs to play off the ball. <laughs> I don't know when that transition took place. Yeah, neither me. And I think that that's something that is going to need to be figured out. And that's my concern with it is, if Holiday doesn't fit into that role, one of two things is going to happen. Either Etwan Moore is going to step in and, and be the the spread-the-floor shooter, in which case you're wasting money on Holiday who wouldn't be a starter. Or another thing is it's just not going to work, you know, because, because maybe he doesn't play the position well. And, and I don't know. I, I just could see problems there. Nick, do you, don't you think that their, their lineup may just be a little bit awkward? I think he's a point guard, and if you're trying to move him somewhere else, you are he's, – he's, okay, let's go uh, 2K – situation here if he's an 85 point guard you move into shooting guard he might be a 75 right there's a difference he's not going to be as good as a shooting guard he's not a great shooter he's a consistent shooter not not a he's not ray allen sure he's, he's not steph curry he's drew holiday yeah and, and they're going to be paying him to to be ray allen which i guess is my concern but man we've thrown a lot of fire at the Pelicans and Saints since the debut of, of this show. So I guess we'll, we'll put a pin on it at least for one more uh, one more segment. Well, I'm sure the next podcast will be we throwing some more smoke at those guys as and well. Pelicans, if you want to sponsor us, we uh, <laughs> talk to our boy Richie Martin. You can get some sponsorships in there. Yeah, I will leave it at that. We'll take our first commercial break. When we get back, we're going to go to Homa on the phone lines. We're going to have Ariane James. Uh, she's going to be talking about the Lady Patriots state championship run and her plans for her senior season with the Lady Pats. We'll be right back. You're listening to One More Round. If you're in the market for a screen-printed vinyl t-shirt, sports apparel, embroidery, or much more, please visit Down the Bayou Design Studio and Clothing Company in Golden Meadow. They have all your clothing needs. Go visit Nick and all the guys out there. They're going to do a wonderful job. Again, that's Down the Bayou Design Studio and Clothing Company out in Golden Meadow. They're open five days a week from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Again, that's Down the Bayou Design Studio and Clothing Company. Give them a ring, 985-475-7700. And welcome back to one more round. Casey Justclair here with Damien St. Pierre, Nick A. Bear, and Mello at the controls. We're going to go to the phone lines now where we have. Ellender forward, Orion James on the line. Orion, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Absolutely. That's good to hear. Um, Orion, it was a, a very great season for the Lady Patriots this past year. You all won the state championship. You were named the most outstanding player. Uh, I guess we'll lead off right there. What was it like to be a part of such a magical season with your team? Um, it was a great feeling. A great experience. It was magical. The moment was just 
wow. Like, I, I didn't have words. I didn't really feel it until everybody was taking pictures and we had the plaque in our hand and everybody was smiling and crying and then we looked up in the crowd and everyone was there. It was just, it was just great. And you played your best basketball in the top 28 tournament. What allowed that to happen? Was it just good matchups for you or did you have a little bit of extra inspiration along the way? Um, well, I've been playing since I was younger and I kind of know how to play people smaller than me, bigger than me. I know how to play all the way around. At character most of the time. And, I mean, when you have a team full of girls that know how to play like you and know how to play with you, it kind of gives you that boost of energy that's just, you could just work with everything. And if you need help, you could call on them. So, I mean, it was... It was it was okay. I felt like I played an okay game. I didn't feel like I gave it my all, but I felt like I did good. Yeah, and Orion, one thing that, that I like the most about your game is you have the ability to make plays on the outside uh, if, if you're facing a bigger defender. But if you know a team is a little smaller, like you said, you have the ability to also do a lot of really good work in the paint. Um, that versatility, is that something that you've always had or is that something that you've sort of developed in your high school career? Oh, that's something I've always had. I mean, being younger, I started playing when I was six. Being younger and tall, I'm not really that tall no more, but when I was six and seven, like six through ten, I was the tallest on my team and the team we played against. So when I was little, all I had to do was get the ball and hold it up. I didn't really start getting people my height and taller until I got to junior high, and that's when my coach, Coach Campbell, and Coach AP started teaching me how to do post moves and how to drill left hand and make a left hand layup and fake people and jump shots and stuff. So over the years, it kind of all played a part. And now high school, I just put it all together and just get better in each category. Very good. We're talking with Arian James of the Ellender Patriots. Um, Arian, uh, how do you guys uh, repeat this? I mean, now you got the big bullseye across y'all's chest. Everyone's gunning for y'all. But y'all have a lot of players back from last year's team. How do y'all repeat this and, and try to do it again next year? Um, I mean, we, our strategy last year was the same as always. We kill everybody with speed. All of us are so fast. But, I mean, if we have the right attitude and right aspects and just come together and gel as one, I feel like we could get it with no problem. Sure. What's it like playing for Coach Dixon? Because, you know, as a, as a spectator watching the game, is is do you all think he's as nuts as we think he is on the sideline? Because he's always up and down the you know the sideline hollering and screaming. And what's it like playing for a guy first that has all those championships, but second that is as as much of a character as he is? I mean, my first year playing with him was my sophomore year, and I'm not going to lie, I was nervous because when you walk into high school, you see all the championships that he has, and you see all the legends up there, and it's like, wow, I'm really playing with a coach that won championships. But when you get to know him, he's a big goofball. <laughs> coach Dixon, he's more of like, he's not going to pressure you. He's going to pressure you, but if he sees that you can't handle the pressure, then he's just going to back away and just let you try and ease by yourself. But our whole team, he pressures the whole team because he knows we can succeed and we can do better. And he he rides our backs and stuff, but as he always tells us, don't worry about when I'm talking. When I get quiet, that's when you worry. So 
when we see him on the sideline jumping around and stuff, it's like, okay, he paying attention to us. He, he, he knows we can win this. But he knows that whenever um, we're quiet and stuff, and um, he, he knows whenever we, whenever we need help, he knows. Sure. So we're going to ask you to, to paint a picture here for us is the, the, the clock's winding down and it's the end of the Class 4A state championship game and you all had just won the title. What's going through your head as that happens? And then second, take me to a couple minutes later when they announce you as the most outstanding player. Just what was that like and what was that moment like for you? Going through my head, it was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. We really we really won this. Like, we going to be up there. Our picture going to be up there. Because I was so inspired by the pictures that were in our school. And people are going to go back and look at those and be like, wow, they won state championships. And I was like, I finally get my dream. finally get to be up there. So I'm like, we get our picture. We get our ring. We get all this stuff. And then I'm jumping around with my team, and then they announce my name. And at first, I didn't know what they announced my name for, so I got <laughs> nervous. And I turned around, and they were like, most outstanding player. And they announced my name, and I just heard everybody chin. Uh, my heart dropped. Like, I was about to cry. I didn't know what to do. I was stuck. I just, I just, it was just a happy moment. And I was scared to go up there because they had all these cameras, and Best believe it or not, I'm camera shy. Are you really? Yeah, I am. In the game, I don't really notice when they have cameras, but the only time I notice is whenever they're shooting free throws. When I'm shooting a free throw and they like right there in the middle about to take a picture of me, and I'm like, oh, my God, I hate this. So, but whenever they called my name, I started crying because, like I said, I felt like I didn't even play my best game. Like my first, the first half of that game, I didn't make no shots. But one of our assistant coaches, her name is Coach Bibbs, she came talk to me, and she was like, "Your idol is out there." Simone Augustus was there, and she was like, "Your idol is out there. She is here to watch y'all play. She is here to watch you. Play. You got to show her what you can do. Now you can go out here and play like you did in the first half." You can go out here and play like Orion plays. Because I know how Orion plays, and this is not how she plays. She's just nervous right now. So then my team thought it was like, oh, you got to you gotta step it up. Come on, you can do this. So when I got out there and we was in the huddle, I said, y'all, just feed me the ball. And that's, that's how I did it. And I just started scoring, and then I got most outstanding player. Cool. Yeah, that's an awesome story. And, and Orion, you got one more season. Have, have, are any colleges recruiting you? Is that something that you plan to do after high school? Yeah, it's something I plan to do. I mean, if if uh, if it was I put in my hand, then I'm going to do it. But um, I mean, schools from Florida, Texas, South Carolina, uh, some colleges down here looking, uh, college in Alabama. I got a couple schools. But, I mean, basketball is just a it's an accessory to me. Like cool. I could have that, but I'm really smart too. So it's just it's something that I like doing. Like I use it. I use basketball for studying habits, for math, reading, anything. It's just. Cool. And Ariana, I know that you've told me this uh, off the air. What do you want to be when you grow up? This is really interesting. I think the, the listeners are going to want to, want to hear this. 
<laughs> and what what exactly does that entail? Um, it's about astrology, measuring measuring the stars, calculating, you know, gravitational pulls and stuff. Um, doing stuff with the eclipses, and um, it deals with water, like the moon having gravitational pull on the water. Um, calculating meteorites, asteroids, and stuff. I just like math, and I like stars. <laughs> Well, Ariane, thank you so much for the time, and good luck in your senior year, okay? Thank you so much. Absolutely. That is Ariane James with the Ellender. Patriots spending some time with us here on one more round. Uh, we've all had an opportunity, fellas, to see her play. Um, she's one heck of a player, and as you all could sense, I think, in the phone call, she really is one really, really smart kid. Yeah, just for a second there, Casey, that was that was exciting to hear, the excitement in her voice, speaking about the story when her name was called for the most outstanding player that's what sports is about you know at the end of the day we talked about this last time it's kids and even when she said you know basketball is just an accessory you still got to go to class however many hours a day you still got to make the grades and for somebody that wants to have that career path have that mind frame that's pretty neat we've seen her play a couple of times uh, had an opportunity to watch her top 28 game in the semifinals last year as well and she has an ability um, to when she wants to dominate the inside that's her lane and and she could be a big time mismatch problem because she's a great rebounder but at the same time if you're going to um, try to focus on taking away her paint presence she could also step outside the lane make a 17 footer and, and dribble past bigger defenders I think that's going to be very attractive to a lot of colleges and, and she was being modest when we asked her about it but I do think she has a future in this game for the next four or five years. Yeah, definitely. If she wants to play, she could definitely play at the next level. One big thing that I noticed about watching her play is her rebounding ability and her nose for the basketball. And anytime you could do that and you got, you know, she said it's from six to 10, she was always the tallest person. Well, she learned to rebound when she was that tallest sure. person and it, it carried over to her career now. So anytime, especially in, in the ladies game, if you could rebound a ball like that, you're, you're going to be very successful. And that's a good lesson. And look, we all work with with younger players. Just because you're the biggest kid as a six year old doesn't mean that you don't have to learn how to be a guard. And I think that that's one thing that 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 you know she does well, and others should learn from is that you're the biggest in seven and eight. Biddy doesn't mean you can be the biggest when you're a senior in high school. And a wise coach once told me, no matter your size, no matter your level, you've got to learn how to dribble and pass the basketball. And that's one thing that, that really that entire Ellender team does well. They share the ball well. And I think Ariane is a good example of that. She was bigger, a post player, big time as a younger player. Everybody kind of caught up height-wise, and she evolved her game. Yeah, I think that's one thing I'll give uh, Terrebonne Parish props on. They don't pigeonhole kids into position just because you're tall at 7. Like you said, you're not doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be tall at 17. They do a good job of, of uh, making everybody kind of go through the same route uh, in player development. Absolutely. We'll take a quick commercial break. When we get back, we're going to go back to the phone lines. We're going to have Nate Fry on the line. Nate's about to do some big things. He's about to sign his first professional contract. We're going to get some insight on some of the places he's looking. And we're also going to relive the magical season that he was a part of with the UNO Privateers. You're listening to One More Round. We'll be right back after this. Je m'en vais rouler, 
Hey, bro, let's go fishing. And Steve, we can't. That storm cracked all my lines and sunk my shallow. Shall what we gonna do? And what about Max? Let's call Max him. Max? Yeah, to Gibson. Don't be like those Kuyans. Visit Max Plays on Send the Gang online today at www.fishtidewater.com. That's Tidewater Charters at www.fishtidewater.com. And welcome back to One More Round Studios here. Casey just player with Damien St. Pierre and Nick A. Bear on the phone line. We have Homa Native and UNO graduated guard Nate Fry. Nate, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing great this evening. Absolutely. Hey, bud, it's a, a busy time for you. You're uh, got some a lot of things going right now. You just finished your college career. It's our understanding you, you signed with an agent or getting ready to go to the pro ranks. How's everything going for you in, in that respect, man? Uh, everything's going really well. Um, I'm just uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity, uh, but at the same time, I understand that I've gotten this far by working hard, and if I want to get further, I have to work even harder. So. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and look, your last basketball memory was one heck of a one. You guys went to the, the NCAA tournament, win the Southland tournament, and really kind of came out of nowhere to win the Southland Conference. What was your senior season like, man? I'm sure that had to be one heck of a ride. Oh, man. Like you said, it's going to be one uh, It's gonna be one for the books. Uh, I don't think I'm ever going to forget that. I, uh, you know, I still have my memorabilia and stuff posted up in my room right now. Um, it's just, and like you said, it came out of nowhere. Uh, nobody really expected us to, to win the Southland Conference, but us, and uh, get to the NCAA tournament. And uh, we just, you know, we rallied together as a team. And uh, our our motto since the beginning of the summer, when we came in for summer workouts, was you know we were ring chasers. And every practice was a was a ring chasing moment. And coach reminded us, you know, if this is going to be you guys' motto, I'm gonna I'm gonna coach you accordingly, and I and I'm not gonna let up because I want the same thing as you guys. So. When everybody, uh, everybody got on the same page, it took four years. I can't, I got there as a freshman. Our first, our first three seasons were, you know, were not up to par. But in that fourth year, when I came in as a senior, uh, and my the other three seniors, Eric Thomas, Chris Davis, Gill, and uh, Tim Rose, we all got the team to to rally behind us, and it was a thing of beauty. Man. Nate, you mentioned uh, from your freshman year on the change in the program. Can you tell us a little bit about the job Coach Slash has done, uh, turning that program around? <laughs> Well, I think um, he he's done an excellent job, uh, just to say the least. Uh, he he brought me, uh, like I said, me, Tevin, uh, Eric, and Christavia Solomon. Uh, a lot, of, not a lot of guys, uh, not a lot of schools took a chance on us. But the one thing he he kept reminding us is that you know I wouldn't have got you, I wouldn't have brought you guys in, and if I didn't think you guys could get the job done, you know. And now that it's your senior year, I, I expect you guys to get the job done and nothing less. And so we felt that we felt that burden on our back. We felt that chip on our shoulder that, you know, he did take a chance on us. And it is true that not a lot of colleges took a chance on us that, you know, let's let's prove let's prove um, let's prove the Southland Conference wrong. They the Southland Conference had actually picked us uh, either eighth or ninth or maybe even tenth to finish in the conference in the conference. And those uh, those teams don't even get to go to the Southland tournament. You don't you don't even get invited. So um it was just it was just a whole crazy situation where, you know, from from that preseason ranking, we had an automatic chip on our shoulder, and we came out and proved everybody wrong, and it was it was great. That's awesome, man. And, and 
You know, one of the things that, that was interesting to me was even as your team was playing well and, and started off hot in Southland play, I still was hearing naysayers say, oh, man, they can't keep it up. Man, they can't finish. And then when the, the conference tournament starts, yeah, you know, somebody's going to upset them. It, you guys kind of relished being that underdog throughout the year, didn't you? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think um, what, what they were referring to or what they were they were looking at, what was looking to uh, happen was, I think the, with last, especially last year, and with within the last three years, uh, our our team we were we were always always right there on the cusp, right there on the cusp. We were always right there with beating big teams in every single game. But some would always happen. Uh, we would always die off in the end. We would always get upset by at least one or two points. And I think they were they were looking at that trend from the past couple of years. And I guess they were thinking that, you know, maybe it's it's probably going to happen again this year. But we man those those close losses are the t- are the most toughest ones people think that getting blown out is hard dude losing seven or eight games in league play by a mar- like a margin of 3 2 and 1 point is is so hard bro yeah because you you realize that so say for instance you finish um say for instance you finish 10 and 10 okay uh you you lose five of those games by one point that's easily putting you at 15 and five. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you're a top four team at that point. And we were, we were just so frustrated that, you know, dude, we could really be one of these top teams in the Southland, but no one has given us respect, but we're really not that far off. Yeah. And we realized we didn't really have that much work to do. We just had to make a couple tweaks and, you know, we got the ball rolling. So. Yeah. Very good, man. And, you know, we had Arian James on the line just a couple minutes ago, and we were asking her to explain to us the feeling of whenever the, the buzzer sounds and you become a state champion. So I'm going to ask you the same thing. When the buzzer sounds and you realize that you guys were the Southland Conference champions and you all were going to the NCAA tournament, just explain those couple of seconds for us. Uh, man, I, th- I think for, for me personally, I'm going to speak on my behalf. For me personally, I was, whew, it was time stopped for me. Um, it's something I had, I had dreamed about as a as a freshman coming in because even I would I would say as a kid, but even as a as a kid or as a high school, I never really um, dreamed specifically about winning a, a conference championship. I don't really know too much about conference play or Southland play for that matter. So when I got in as a freshman, that was that was one of my biggest goals. So I, uh, but yeah, man, when that when that buzzer sounded. Um, I actually had the ball in my hand, I, and I did the famous the, the famous ball throw. I threw, I threw that ball <laughs> as high as possible, man. I think it took about 10 seconds for that ball to come back down. I threw that thing so high. But, uh, you know, my team just rushed the court, all the parents and the fans. Uh, my mom and dad rushed the court, and it was it was a great feeling. They had the confetti falling. It was hard to find my people, but I hurried up and ran and found my mom. I went give her a big old hug. I uh, spun her in a huge circle. I hugged my dad. Uh, my girlfriend was there. I went hug her. So it was, whew. dude. It was, it was, it, and it, it was, you know, it brought tears to my eyes, dude, because we, we really weren't supposed to be there. Um, and in that, and like I said, in that single moment, every, every single disappointment, every failure that had happened before that, and like it all plays back in the instant. And you're like, man, we really did it. So that's awesome. Um, now, one of the the interesting things about you, Nate, that a lot of people maybe at UNO didn't know is that. You were a five, six-year player at high school. I mean, you were playing since you were really a kid and at, at, at home a Christian. And some of the success that you guys had while you were there 
allowed you know the program to really evolve into what it is today just talk about those times man because a lot of folks will say that you know the work that you all did helped to build that program up to what it is now uh just talk about what it was like being that seventh and eighth grader and, and you know being out on the varsity floor with those big guys uh well and i think uh when sliss or uh when sliss recruited me he knew that i uh i had been a part of a rebuilding process with uh with homer christian and that's what, that's exactly what we needed at, at UNO. We needed guys to help rebuild the program. Um, they were just making a transition from uh, Division Two or Division Three to Division One, and um, the first year we weren't even eligible eligible for league play. Uh, we weren't even eligible to win the Southland Conference tournament, so we were just playing, you know, just to play. But he he knew he needed guys that were going to be within it for uh, being in for the long haul. And and like I said, I'm I help I help build uh, Homer Christians. Uh, program back up you know and homer christian surprisingly they made it to the final four this past year i don't know if you knew that sure yeah it was the farthest, it was the farthest they've ever gotten so you know i was i was proud of, in that regard uh but yeah it was it's it's great uh i just and i knew i knew it was going to take a lot of time and a lot of hard work and effort um maybe a little bit more than i expected <laughs> um yeah actually a lot more than i expected it was, it was it was hard those summer workouts i wasn't expecting that as well actually when i signed I didn't even really want to come back. So, um, just to paint you like a little a little timetable. Um, so, you get off from school in a, in in uh, in May, right? Mm-hmm. Have about you have uh, you have about three weeks off, and then you go right back to school. Um, and so from June, July, all uh, your all you're working out. Um, you have about a two week break, and then you go right back to school start up school, start working out again all the way through the fall. You're, that's your preseason. And then you get into, um, you in the spring and that's your whole season. And then once, once everything ends in March, right, you get about, well, with our coach, um, he likes, he likes to practice the day after you lose just, to, you know, <laughs> just, and that, and then I'm going to tell you his mindset. Mind, it's actually kind of, it's comical, but you know, he's, his mindset is, I want to get a head start on every other team that's going to take a break after they lose their game. That's that's the mindset. Sure. And I was like, dude, are you freaking serious right now? Like you, like you're tripping. Like like like, give me a break. But I see, you know, I look back in retrospect. Uh, they say hindsight is always twenty twenty. And now that I look back at it, I see why he did all those things, and it you know it paid off in the end. So yeah. if you if you would have if you would have told me uh, that we were gonna what I was doing was going to help me win the Southland uh, Conference Championship. I probably still wouldn't have wanted to do it anyway. I would have probably <laughs> tried to find another way around it. But, um, yeah, like I said, it just all worked out, and, and I'm grateful for it. Cool. And, and, and professionally, where, where are you looking right now? Are there any you know certain countries that are interested, or I guess where, where does that stand? All right, so, yeah, I just got back from a um, uh, showcase in Las Vegas, two showcases. Uh, one, was, one of them was called uh, KPA. Uh, it was Kentucky and a program, program and workout. So look, what they did was it was at Valley High School in Las Vegas. They put you through a workout beforehand, and then you competed in like um, just uh, exhibition games throughout the night. And I was blessed and fortunate enough to be a part, be a part of the all league team. So it was like 60 to 70 guys there, and they picked three all league players, and I was one of them. Awesome, so I man. Was blessed, yeah, I was blessed for that, and there were coaches there, and so I. Um, I signed up for that one to get prepared for the scores first showcase at UNLV. The scores first showcase is a, uh, it's a 
uh, what is this, a six-round draft, right? So you enter your name, and if uh, you don't get picked, you have to you're you're then forced to pay a $200 entry fee if you still choose to go. So um, I ended up getting picked in the fourth round, and I uh, so and it was it was a good situation. The reason why my agent sent uh, sent me to it was because um, a lot of camps you just pay to get in. But with this one, there's a draft. So the players are filtered, and they pick the best players based on credentials that you sent them through your uh, either professional career or your your college career. So it wasn't just the guys that were in this uh, this showcase wasn't just guys coming out of college. It was they were also uh, current professional players as well. So I was competing against guys who have been pros for about two or three years. There were some 29, 28, some 30 year olds in there that I was competing against. So. It was it was tough, man, and uh, so there was coaches from everywhere: Spain, Italy, China, Japan, literally everywhere. And uh, the first the first two days I did exceptionally well. My first game, I actually had 20 points. Um, I sent my team was down five with a minute left to go, and I ended up sending the game in overtime, and I actually won the game for us in overtime. So that was that was awesome, and it was a good showing because it was around I want to say it was around 11 o'clock, and all the coaches were just starting to filter in when the game was really getting heated so um i got uh from from that showcase i got uh garnered interest from five teams uh one of them is a league in india called the uba um another team is in uh switzerland uh sweden finland and a team in where's in israel as well so i got uh i got those five teams looking at me and three of them are in in the top leagues in those countries. So I'll be starting off making some pretty good money as rookie. So good, man. Hey, we're happy for you. And look, whenever you finally do sign, we're going to get you back on and we could talk about that, man. We're happy for you, bro. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. That is Nate Fry on the line and uh, he's doing some really good things and uh, he's rocking and rolling. You know, Damien, I'm, I'm so used to um, uh, having guests that are a little nervous we've had two guests today that are both probably smarter than we are <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not too difficult uh, but look uh, people talk about actions speak louder than words just going through our uh, our summer program our summer games at South Lafouche Nate was in the stands filming games with his dad the home of Christian games like that speaks to me that you just you're part of once you're part of the program you, you're never you're never out of you're never done just goes to show you what type of guy that that Nate is and don't you sense from hearing him speak that whenever, you know, Father Time says, hey, you can't play anymore, that he's going to be on that sideline. He seems very knowledgeable of the game. I don't see any way that he's not going to be a coach before it's all said and done. Yeah, well, he def- he's definitely in the uh, in the right place. You know, his dad does a tremendous job of not only coaching the game but developing players as well because he's got, he's got a, I believe, another uh, air in the – in the ranks right now that that's pretty good as well and no doubt let's take our next commercial break when we get back we're gonna get to talk some wrestling we were at a show in morgan city this past weekend and we got a chance to meet jerry the king lawler and we saw some really good matches as well you're listening to one more round we'll be right back in a minute If 
you're in the market for a screen printed vinyl t-shirt, sports apparel, embroidery, or much more, please visit Down the Bayou Design Studio and Clothing Company in Golden Meadow. They have all your clothing needs. Go visit Nick and all the guys out there. They're going to do a wonderful job. Again, that's Down the Bayou Design Studio and Clothing Company out in Golden Meadow. They're open five days a week from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Again, that's Down the Bayou Design Studio and Clothing Company. Give them a ring, 985-475-7700. And welcome back to One More Round. We want to thank our guests tonight. They did an excellent job. We want to thank Ariane James. Wish her the best of luck in her senior season. We also want to thank Nate Fry and wish him continued success as he chases down a professional team of his liking. Now we're going to talk some wrestling. As, uh, we had a busy weekend, fellas. We were out in Morgan City. Um, we saw some really good matches. We, we met uh, Jerry the King Lawler. Um, want to before we d- dive deep into the the, the card want to thank mustang mikey from the second we got there they made you know everything available to us we got to talk to wrestlers before the show after the show everyone was very accommodating and i think i could speak for everybody guys when i say that we had one hell of a night on saturday that was a lot of fun yeah i had a blast again i, I watch wrestling just because it makes me feel like the kid again and i want to thank mustang mike big time uh i'm hoping we get to do that again because that was some fun especially uh, going there after and interviewing the guys and if you get a chance uh, Casey spent most of his Sunday from what I understand he did a hell of a job making some video packages for some of the matches and some of the guys that took time out after the match to uh, sit, sit down with us and give us a few words but uh, it, it was good man it had some really good some really good wrestling it was very and look we use this word a lot very entertaining Nick what were your thoughts uh, uh, I guess on the show as a whole on Saturday I had an absolute blast. That's one thing around this area that we have a, a good bit of that doesn't get supported enough is the local indie wrestling scene. People, kids these days, they, they know John Cena. They know of all the WWE guys. I just did a Mickey Loomis right there. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't support the local indie scene, and I, I urge you all to go out there and watch these shows. It's, it's local guys doing doing great things it's very very entertaining we had a blast saturday night yeah we did we had some adult beverages we we laughed we joked we cheered it, it was a, it was a great night i can't wait to do it again tell you about our normal i'm gonna give them a plug our normal uh morgan city wrestling eatery for lunch oh, east gate unbelievable sponsorship oh, oh my they if you get a chance, you're a big barbecue fan, or even if you're a little barbecue fan, I would advise going to eat at Eastgate Barbecue. Right. You know, you challenged me in the last podcast to put a certain video at a certain place in you, in the YouTube. I'm going to put a picture of my barbecue plate right now for everybody to see. Uh, it, it was unbelievable. But, man, I, here's something I want to talk about with y'all is usually these shows have that big – a uh, former wrestler who's sort of fading into retirement and he, you know, he will maybe make a cameo or he'll wrestle a little bit. He'll go in there and he'll get the pin or whatever it may be. I thought that's what we were going to see from Jerry, the King Lawler. He's 67 years old. I didn't think he would do very much. Look, he didn't take any crazy bumps. He wasn't swanton bombing off the top rope, but for a guy, his age he could still work pretty well. I mean, heck he was holding his own in that tag match. I was really impressed with what the King showed us on Saturday. As was I. They had him start the match off. Yeah. 
which is something that kind of shocked us all. And look, we got a chance to talk to him for a second during the intermission, and he, the guy still looks like he could do it. He's, he could still work and still do play by play. He's witty. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's still got it at 67 years old. He he's a, he doesn't look 67 years old at all. This guy is a legend. He was one of the top wrestlers in the 70s, and it's not the 70s anymore. It's, it's 2017, and this guy can still go. There's there's wrestlers that are great wrestlers that are that are retiring at the age you know in their 30s. This guy's 67, and he can still go with the best of them. Yeah, it, was, it was amazing. It's very impressive to see, and you know, like we said, he he was not you know taking any kind of big bumps or anything like that. But just in terms of his offense, he was aggressive. He was out there. He was throwing punches. He was working. You know, going to the ropes hard. And this was not just a money grab of art. Right, I'll, I'll show up and I'll take pictures and I'll kiss babies and then I'll leave. He actually got in there and he put in a good ten minutes of work in that match. Yeah, look, he works the crowd. Those got those older fellas. They know how to work the crowd and they had everybody uh, ripping and, and hollering out there. He really didn't have to work the crowd because we worked the crowd. We had we had chance going for him all night, and he showed his approval to us, which was pretty cool. But we we let him know that he's a legend. We appreciate him. We're glad to have him down here. Sure, and one, um, you know the 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 fight poster always has the the big guys that they're trying to pump up, and and in this show it was Mustang Mike and Off and Jerry Lawler and everything. But one sort of pre-intermission match that I thought was really pretty good and, and we'll talk about it now because some of the, the feud so to speak is spilling over into our own social media the hardcore match between Killer Shane and Stan Sweet Tan for a hardcore match I thought was pretty good they kind of beat up on one another a little bit and then the reaction afterward we, we talked to Stan Sweet Tan and he was talking about how he wants a rematch and then Killer Shane got on our Facebook and said that he'd be willing to you know have another match and for an undercard bout, I thought that was pretty good. Okay, so I, I really uh, agree with what you're saying, but I don't know when our studio became an airport. A war zone. <laughs> I, I can't understand. It's the third plane to go by <laughs> during our, our broadcast. you got to be kidding me, man. Uh, look, to, to go back on that match, Stan Sweetan, the old veteran, he's been in the game a long time. Killer Shane, you know, kind of he, he's been in there a few years, but he's kind of the new guy. It was a good uh, – it's a good clash of, of, I guess, guys meeting up at that point in their career. Uh, Sweet Tan brought out all the goodies, the ironing board, the toilet seat, which is you could see on, on social media. And, look, they, you could tell those guys in the ring were having fun, which led to the crowd having fun. And that that's pretty much that, – that's what they do. Yeah, Nick, you've been a you know, part of some of these shows. And for a match that really is one of the first matches to ha have that much crowd involvement, a lot of excitement. Now, look, a lot of it's because Killer Shane's from Berwick. We were in Morgan City. I know that's part of it. Stan Sweetan has been hated in the local wrestling scene for quite a while now. That's part of it. But I, I really felt like that was one of the most over matches of the night. Yeah, it was a very good match. A very hardcore match. Both guys were bleeding. You got uh, Stan, who could who could work with anybody. The, the, the guy's a veteran. He's been around the block. He knows what he's doing. He can talk. He can wrestle. He can do it all. And then you got you got Killer Shane, who's kind of new. Kind of reminds me of a Bully Ray, Bubba Ray type guy. Yeah. Just, just watching him in the ring, that's the first thing that came to my mind was Bully Ray. And he he for such a young guy, new to the game, he did a, a dang good job in the ring. I want to say something here and. Um... I think both guys in the match would maybe agree, and this is Tim Storm and Andrew Anderson. There's a little bit sloppy in that match, but here's something that I want to say right now, and I hope that they're both listening. Those are two really cool-ass dudes. We had a chance to talk to both Tim Storm and Andrew Anderson after that match. First-class guys, professional guys. 
we gave Tim Storm hell in that match. If you listen to any of our social media um, videos that we're going to be releasing throughout the week, we gave that guy hell. And then as soon as we saw him after the match, he's like, man, you guys are awesome. You guys do a great job. Andrew Anderson was sort of the same thing. <clears throat> we saw him after the card, gave us some time and, you know, spent some time with us, interviewed, took pictures, whatever. Those are two old grizzled pros that, you know, they both come from the Northeast and they both really did a good job of uh, making themselves known here in the Louisiana scene. Yeah, Tim Storm did a good job because he acknowledged the fact that he came in last year during Cajun Heat 1 and the fans were, were had his back. And this time, you know, he, he was – he was playing the bad guy, and he did a good job of letting everybody know that he wasn't too happy about that. And our group let him know that, hey, Tim, you suck <laughs> multiple times. And uh, he came. But we and- also cheered for him as well multiple times, <laughs> coincidentally enough. You know, it's always fun. We go out there. We had a, a big group of guys, and it's always fun to just be part of the show. Listen, I went to Vegas a couple weeks ago, and there's not one Vegas show that you could go to, and that the performance leaves you alone. They're always grabbing somebody from the crowd and making them go do stuff. This is totally different. You could shout whatever you want within reason. And we did. And, uh, you know, they play to it. They The guys enjoy it because you're getting the reaction. And that look, it's a minimal money at this level. And they go out there to have fan interaction. Nick, how much of that stuff do you hear when you're actually in the ring? Both of you guys have been there. Whenever it's a loud, rowdy crowd and there's that one, you know, pest in the stands hollering, do you actually hear that? It depends on how loud the crowd is. If if it's a quiet, quiet gym with like maybe a hundred people in it, you hear everything. If it's at night, like it was in Marvin City, you'll hear things. Like if there's a little bit of a little silence at one point and somebody yells something, you'll definitely hear that. But other than that, you don't hear too much. But as we were talking about Tim Storm and Andrew Anderson, one thing about Andrew Anderson. He told me he was Greg Valentine's son. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did say that. Which may explain the sloppiness at first. He, he might be a slow starter like his dad. David, <laughs> can you expound that's on an, this? That's an old inside <laughs> joke. Was that a Jesse Ventura? Line? No, I, I believe that was a... a ah, I, I can't remember who the heel announcer was, but every time Valentine would get in there, it's a man, it takes him a good 14, 15 minutes to get warmed up before you know he starts going. Uh, Andrew also was a character in the movie The Wrestler. Yeah, he was. Which uh, we got to see him there. And listen, real cool. He doesn't know me from anybody. I went up to him and said, look, man, you know, I met you at WrestleCon at uh, WrestleMania. Th- uh, 30. 30. 30. I thought so. He's like, oh, look, man, get me on Facebook, send me a picture, I'll autograph and send it to you. Like, how cool was that? Didn't sure. even ask for postage. Good dude. <laughs> solid dude. And, and uh, Mustang had called on Friday – uh, we were lining up some passes and everything, and he had Andrew Anderson in the car with him. I guess he had picked him up at the airport or whatever. And uh, I, I started asking him, I said, Mustang, who you got in the car with you, man? It was The guy was talking and loud, and so I asked Andrew Anderson, you want to talk to him? And, and here I am talking for 10, 15 minutes about wrestling with this guy I don't even know. And then, you know, I go up to him on Saturday and say, hey, hey, buddy, you know, I, I talked to you on the phone yesterday. He said, oh, you're that guy, man. Yeah, that's cool. So, you know, it, just a good all-around guy. You could tell. A lot of the guys that have, that have done this for a while, they develop, you know, sort of that sense of entitlement. This, oh, I've been here, I've done that, I've done this. Didn't sense that from either of these guys, even though they're both pretty accomplished wrestlers. Yeah, we talk often about a guy you'd want to go have a beer with and BS with. That's he's he's on that list. Now, in the the first match of the night, um, what's the guy's name? The the Japanese guy, Hasegawa. Hasegawa. I won't be able to pronounce it right. 
Um, now this is a guy that that has some some hype around him. There was some Hasegawa banners, and you know he had what appeared to be his own photographer. Um, he spoke to us uh, after the fight, and he doesn't know much English. Thanks for lining up a non-English speaker for me, Nick. I appreciate that. Um, but they they seem to be you know a little bit of a buzz around him. He got in there. He he the fans sort of didn't know if he was a heel or a face, and they kind of booed him as he had the Japanese flag. But then after you know. They shook hands or whatever. I thought that he was pretty good. He seems to be a young guy. Um, and it's another guy that, look, in intermissions and stuff, he was going and talking to all the kids as much as he could. Very personable. And I think that he's got a chance to maybe do some things. Yeah, he came uh, speak with us after as best as he could. I don't I don't know. I, I didn't get a chance to see enough of him, I guess. Uh, I, the match was kind of short. Yeah, it was. I was hoping he, he was in there working with Americos, who was a Braun Strowman victim on Monday Night Raw during that Braun Strowman uh, uh, tear through the the non-roster. I wish they would have got maybe 10, 12 minutes to showcase what he had. If you come in, which from what I understand was legit from uh, Japan, I figured he'd get a little more time than that. But, I mean, I'm I'm not running the show, so I have have no sense uh, saying that. Very good. And the guy who was running the show, Mustang Mike, was in the main event defending his NWA North American Championship against Afa. Um, I thought that was a pretty good match. I thought that it went back and forth. The ending maybe was a little bit awkward to me, but Mustang Mike does get the win. Um, fellas, you know, you all worked with Mustang Mike. Uh, you know, I've seen him wrestle since I got back from college, which is 2009. The guy gets older and older, but still produces at the same level. He, he cut a promo on our Facebook after saying, you know, hey, I'm a 47 year old man and i'm fighting in blood sweat and tears and yada yada for a guy his age we talked about lawler mustang still performs at a pretty high level yeah i was surprised that when he said his age i didn't think i mean i've been knowing the guy for a better part of a decade but i don't i didn't see that he was that old uh he does a, he's in tremendous shape uh he could speak well he performs well that was a hell of a promo he cut after the match it was and you know the fans love him he's the reason that most of those people were, were there and that's awesome, man. If you if you had that age and you, he, right now he's at, I believe, at the top of his his game and at the top of his career, he's traveling the whole United States, getting work everywhere. That that's awesome. That's what you do it for. Nick, your thoughts as you watch Mike take on Alpha? Yeah, um, Mustang Mike. He, we, I mean, we've been knowing this guy for more than a decade. Damon said we've been knowing this guy for about fifteen years, and this is the best Mustang Mike has ever been. Like he's he's getting older, but he he's getting better. He's he's smarter. He's, he doesn't seem like he's lost a step. In the ring, he can go harder than he used to go. I've wrestled the guy a couple of times. He goes hard now. He was a good worker back then, and now now he's on top. This is Morgan City is his town. He's taken over, and that's who the crowd wants to see. They come to see Mustang Mike, and he's giving them a good show. And look, I thought uh, Afa Jr. did a pretty good job of playing that, that outsider, that, that character that everybody wanted to hate. Uh, he's, he's a good worker. I thought yeah, he was he a big oh, guy, yeah. and he did he did exactly what what he wanted to do out there, and he he looked the part. He did well. Guy comes out, you know, he's he's got the traditional Samoan look. He's barefoot. He's kind of a big guy. He's thick. I'm thinking to myself, man, this guy's gonna be you know kind of slow. He's gonna be kind of clumsy. He's not. He's a pretty good athlete for his size, and I was really impressed. But fellas, we talk about the NWA North American Championship for a minute, and um. You know, just to, you know, Nick let off the, the segment talking about how people really need to sort of rally around this thing that's going on locally. Just for perspective, 
The NWA North American Championship was first held in 1994 by Greg the Hammer Valentine. This is a title now that Mustang Mike has. Some really big wrestlers you know, have held this championship. It's not just some you know, powder puff belt that he invented himself. I mean, this is a belt with a lot of prestige, and it, it's around the, the shoulders now of a guy from Morgan City. Yeah, um, he he's come a long way. I mean, this guy he he's got his career in the, in in the right hands, I guess. I don't know who's who's setting him up with all this, but I mean, the guy the guy's got his career in, on a good path, and he's he's going forward with it. And happy for him. That's I mean, I've been his, I've been friends with him for a good while. I'm happy for the guy. He's doing well. Yep, very good. So talk a little bit of WWE now is. Um... We are recording this Monday night. It's currently Monday, just after Monday Night Raw goes off air. It's about ten ten here. Um, we didn't get a chance to watch the show yet, but we're you know we're spoiler nerds, so we looked on the internet and saw what Kurt Angle's big announcement was. He made the announcement that uh, we sort of thought Dixie Carter. We sort of thought some different things, but he made the announcement that he has a son that he did not know about. It was, uh based on a, a relationship when he was in college. And then the son was revealed to be Jason Jordan, who's on the WWE roster. I give them credit for this. I don't know necessarily how I feel about this, but I give them credit for this. If you give me a list of 10 things that I thought it was going to be, this was not on that list. Um, so if for nothing else, they got me surprised. They got me somewhat interested. What are your thoughts as you see this this break here on social media? I think someone made an offhand comment that, oh man, he has a new son, is going to be uh, Gable. From, this on SmackDown, which, eh, okay. I didn't give that a second thought. The Dixie Carter stuff came in. Some may or may not have thought it was a homosexual angle. I'm glad it didn't go that <laughs> route. But look, you need new blood. Why not? Jason Jordan. He's got he looks the part. I don't know if he, he's got that kind of fake charisma thing going, which that's something that that's pretty fixable. You're looking for you're looking for the next star, the next breakout star. The thing about him is that he's got the size. I think they're I think the Finn Balor uh, push is starting to fade away, even though the crowd's still behind him. I think they're realizing that realizing that he's just a little bit too small. So maybe bringing in a guy like that with some steam. And that's been a while since they re-debuted or repackaged someone. And I guess the look it had me interested. After after I watched last week's Raw, I rarely get online and go look and see people what people were thinking. They had me. I went. I was looking forward to watching this week, and I'm kind of pissed off that we. Breaking this right now. <laughs> Nick, you watch a lot of NXT, and Jason Jordan spent some time there. Can this guy go? Can he be an elite-level performer? It sounds like now he's going to maybe have Angle helping him on the mic, and you know maybe there, there are talks with Shelton Benjamin or whatever it may be. Can this guy go at a, at a high level? Absolutely. You, After his family, you will not find a bigger Jason Jordan fan than me. American Alpha is my favorite tag team. I hope they don't, well, they're probably going to break him up because they're probably both getting singles pushes here. Sure. But Jason Jordan can go. This dude's a powerhouse wrestler. He can he he's got charisma. He hasn't really worked the mic yet, which I'm interested to see how he does. But hey, if he if he can work on the mic, great. If he has somebody talking for him, great. They could push this kid and I mean, he has exciting matches. This guy throws people around. He's a he's an amateur wrestler. He's he's fast, he's strong, he's he's got the look. I mean, he, he can go as far as they want to push him. Which is why he's going to be billed as Kurt Angle's son. One thing he needs to change, I'm going to put my fashion advisor as the one more round shoes. fashion guy. He's got to change his boots. Those big white you shoes. You can't wear stuff like that nowadays and people take you serious. 
Yeah, I, I don't want to say that two-word phrase that we don't say here in the studio anymore, but I agree. In case you're not going to take a shot at my wardrobe from Saturday? Well, well, let, let's recap that a little bit, okay? <laughs> we went to the Morgan City Wrestling Show. I was wearing a black shirt that said heels across it based on a basketball team that you and I uh, won the league with. Sorry, Nick. Um, and Mutt. And Mott, yeah. Um, Nick was wearing what? What were you wearing? What kind of wrestling shirt? You what wearing, was a, I wearing a festival friendship shirt? Oh yeah, uh, okay. Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho festival friendship shirt that you can buy at DTB Clothing. You look online for uh, Facebook, DTB Clothing. Check you could out. buy one more round shirt at DTB Clothing. As Absolutely. Well. Mello, what uh, what was Mello wearing? Let's see, wrestling Undertaker. shirt, Undertaker. The Undertaker shirt. blew a twenty-one and zero streak at WrestleMania. Okay, shirt. another shirt you can buy at DTB Clothing. Okay, so we're all geeked out here uh, in wrestling gear. Okay, my man Damien went a different route. He was well, maybe he was dressed wearing a Carlito shirt or something, but he was wearing a Hawaiian shirt um, with what khaki shorts? What were the pants? Or? Uh, orange fishing shorts. Orange fishing shorts. Let me get it right. Um, what's this Hawaiian kick you're on, bud? This is like Dude, two or three times in a week. I see you with that. Listen to the podcast. If you don't know, there's a new hashtag that me and Tommy Bado have started, and it is uh Oh man, I now I can't remember it. <laughs> Tommy's gonna kill me. <laughs> Short sleeve. Short sleeve. Button downs. Button downs. S S hashtag S S B D. Uh the credit of starting that goes to tommy the credit of me wearing that goes to john daly who is john daly is one of my idols he's incredible listen like we said i'm getting old i'm trying to i'm I'm overweight i'm trying to be comfortable that's the comfort level that i need to be at right now john daly once said he drinks two cases of diet coke in a day anyone who could pull that off is is unbelievable in my in my regard so look it's fishing shirts hawaiian shirts fishing shorts maybe shoes that's my weekend wardrobe. It's very similar to what Alpha would be wearing, coincidentally enough, if I had to guess. I probably could have been his manager that night. I looked the part. So, D, before we sign off, you're doing something exciting tomorrow. Tell us about what you got going on. Bro. Yes, the next two days I will be at the Louisiana High School Coaches Association Clinic. Tomorrow morning at 1130, I'll get the chance to hear Will Wade Yes. Uh, give a clinic and then – That'll be interesting. All day they have different meetings, uh, rules clinics and business meetings for high school coaches. Also, uh, a couple of local coaches speaking as well. And tomorrow at 2.30, we're going to get the chance to hear uh, Coach Schlesinger from UNO speak as well. I'm going out there with our buddy Coach Kale. I'm sure it's going to be an interesting time along with all the other South uh basketball coaches and football coaches. So I'm interested how my life's going to be the next two days. Very good. Can't wait uh, to, to hear that recap and maybe get some pointers from Coach Wade and Coach Schlesinger and uh, make us all better coaches. We'll be grateful for it. We're going to sign off right here. We want to thank Orion James, th- thank Nate Fry, thank everybody for listening. Uh, social media, Twitter, at 1-O-N-E underscore more round. Facebook, search One More Round Studios. Podbean, one more round dot podbean dot com. YouTube, search One More Round Studios. We're going to be... Uh, I got some more videos from the show this past weekend. I'm sort of don't want to roll them all out at one time. They get lost on the social media feed that way. I'm going to try to get one a day up there, though, so that you guys could enjoy. We'll be back later in the week. You guys take care. One more round. Studio production.